Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz and I'm very, very happy to be back with you guys. I uh, hope you've had a great weekend. It's good to be back with you. Took a little day off yesterday, but we are back in full action today. Want to welcome Ninja. Khaleesi is joining us as well. Avi, Hanin, thank you all for tuning in tonight. And we have some guests that are upcoming this week. Tomorrow, we are going to be joined by Adam Corson. He is the star of the new movie that is premiering this Thursday, August 12th called The Stairs. I want to thank the people behind The Stairs. They've given us a uh, screener link a while back. It's a great movie. If you guys want to go check it out, I highly encourage you to do so. So the star of the movie, Adam Corson, will be with us tomorrow. And on Friday, we are being joined by Tate Ellington. Tate Ellington has been in a lot of movies, most notable uh, Sinister, the great horror movie with uh, Ethan Hawke's. And he's also been in a movie that I bet a lot of you guys have never heard of. And it's called The Endless. It's part of a, uh, it's, there's a second movie that ties into the Endless universe. But it's not technically a sequel to The Endless. But they're great. If you guys want to check it out, you won't be disappointed. It's sort of this uh, multi-dimensional stuck in a time loop type of a movie it's called the endless and of course tate was also in in sinister with ethan hawks he had a very prominent role in that movie so those are our guests as of now for tomorrow and friday so you guys want to definitely tune in for those interviews as i'm sure they're going to be very fascinating uh philip wright's very good movie oh so good philip i'm glad you've seen the endless a lot of people have not even heard about it and i believe don't quote me on this but i believe it's available on netflix i'm pretty sure that's where i first saw it uh several years ago and i've seen it several times since but it is i think it's available on netflix so if you guys have netflix and you want to go check it out I highly recommend you do so. Uh, Jonathan writes, uh, uh, if you go to the movies, that's true. A lot of people are uh, cautious about going to movie theaters. Jonathan also brings up the fact about wearing a mask. I would recommend if you do go to a movie theater, whether you're vaccinated or not, to uh, wear a mask. It could only help and it won't hurt anything. And it will keep you and everyone around you safe as well. Uh, But movie theaters are open, limited capacity. It's not like it was back in 2019 where they can pack in 200 people or so in a theater anymore. There are spacing people out. Uh, Movie theaters are hurting. We've talked about that in in detail as well. Uh, You know... The entire entertainment industry is trying to reinvent itself in the in the midst of COVID. And I know we've talked about that to death as well. Jonathan is saying thank you. No problem. Want to welcome Prasanna, who's joining us as well and is saying hello. Ezekiel is also joining us and saying hello as well. So that's what's coming up for this week. And stay tuned. We are going to be announcing uh, some awesome guests Now, next Monday, in six days, we are having an extremely talented 
Venezuelan uh, American director by the name of Maria Cardenas. Uh, she has a new movie out called A Dark Foe. It is available uh, to stream or buy on the major, you know, streaming uh, platforms, Vudu, uh, Amazon Prime, and so on. It's called A Dark Foe. Uh, she's very talented, and she is going to be joining us on Monday, August 16th. And that is also going to be a very fascinating conversation. Ninja Mason09 writes, I love your videos. Well, thank you, Ninja. It's good to have you with us. Thank you for the compliment. And without delay, uh, let's get on to the headlines. We'll throw in a couple of trivia questions today as well, as we have been doing over the last several solo broadcasts. And uh, we'll do a little bit of both. So let's see what we have up for you first. Now, let me put this down before we get into it. Uh, I want to first off thank the people at AMC. They have uh, given me an exclusive advanced look to the Walking Dead Season 11 first two episodes. Uh, so thank you, AMC, for doing that. Uh, I have seen them. And uh, you won't be disappointed. I can't talk about them, obviously. I mean, I can talk about it. I just, I don't want to give away any spoilers. But I'm free to give my opinion and reviews and whatnot. And the first article I'm going to bring up is exactly that. Somebody else talking about the premiere of season 11. You won't be disappointed. Um, don't expect like a season 8 of The Walking Dead, where it starts off at 100 miles per hour, and it doesn't let up for like three episodes. Season 11, uh, it's it's two episodes. It's a part one and a part two. I don't know if they are going to be showing them both in one night, like a special two-plus-hour premiere, or if they're going to space them out over two weeks. So I don't have an answer for that, but... The, you won't be disappointed for everyone that's been waiting for The Walking Dead Season 11. It is officially premiering on AMC August 22nd. Uh, for people with AMC premiere, it's going to be premiering a week earlier. But I saw them last week. You won't be disappointed. It covers uh, Ezekiel, Yumiko, Princess, and Eugene's group when, you know, they are in the midst of the Commonwealth uh, integration. And then you have what's going on with Alexandria. Alexandria, if you guys have read the synopsis of how this season is going to start, they're in a lot of trouble in regards to food. Uh, they have taken in a lot of people from Hilltop, obviously, because Hilltop is burned down. And a lot of people from Maggie's community where she's been over the past six years uh, since she disappeared and came back, which is, uh, I'm not going to give away the name of her community. That'll be a spoiler. But um, it deals with them trying to come up with, you know, how to feed everybody, basically. They do not have enough food. As we all know, the Whisperers swept through Alexandria destroyed their homes, destroyed all of their crops, 
they see the episode i can tell you this starts off with them in a really awesome sequence uh scavenging a place for food uh you know, it's so hard for me not to tell you what happens, but I'm not going to. It's just an an amazing opening sequence uh, to season 11. Where they go, it consists of a group of Daryl, mostly everybody from uh, Alexandria. The big players, Daryl, Carol, uh, Maggie is there, uh, Kelly, Magna, and on and on and on. And they're doing this really cool mission to infiltrate a building to get the food out of there safely. I'm not going to say anything more beyond that, but I love the way it starts off. Uh, some cool cinematic uh, sequences with the incorporation of some really cool CGI. Of course, we have some of the dead, the walkers, and you're going to see stuff that you've never seen on The Walking Dead before. So I hope that just gets you even more excited about what's coming up. And I hope you guys all tune in to watch the beginning of Season 11. Now, this is a prediction. As we all know, Season 11 of The Walking Dead is going to be broken up into three sections. Season 11A is starting Sunday the 22nd. Uh, 11B is more than likely going to be sometime in early 2022. And then we're going to have the last part, 11C. The way I think it's going to be broken up, and I don't have any inside knowledge on this, so this is not, this is just my guess. Um, 11A is really going to be centered on Maggie, okay? 11B is uh, going to be about the Commonwealth. Now, last year, way back last year and like the spring of last year i believe uh a quote i'm not sure if it came from angela kang or somebody else uh at some point during the the 11th season something is gonna happen that's gonna make a large part of the alexandria group splinter away because they find out that rick could possibly still be alive and I think that is going to be season 11C, how they're going to end the series. So that's just my guess. It's my theory. A, Maggie and Negan. B, the whole Commonwealth. And C is when they start bringing Rick back into the picture. Now, again, they have not started shooting the films yet. Uh, you know, in October... We're getting the second season of World Beyond, as well as Fear the Walking Dead. But the movies are not anywhere close to being released. So they're going full steam ahead with the uh, TV shows and the episodes. And if it was a perfect world and filming was getting ready to wrap on the Rick Grimes movies that are still scheduled to be filmed and released everything will would fall into place perfectly but that's not going to happen so it'll be something to keep your eyes open and see how it all plays out so we just have to wait but go ahead and you know i know we have a lot of diehard walking dead fans here and you're going to watch you know the beginning of season 11 regardless 
of what I say, but I'm just letting you know you're not going to be disappointed. It's amazing. It's a two-parter. I don't know if they're going to do it all in one night or if they're going to split it up over two weeks. Um, Lindsay writes that is very cool. Uh, Summer is here. Hey, Summer, saying I love you, Viz. I love you too, Summer. Uh, Philip cannot wait for August 15th which is when it's going to be available on Amazon Plus. Uh, the Walking Dead is going to be available one week early on people who subscribe to Amazon Plus. Uh, Khaleesi writes, uh, I just checked, and we will only get the first episode when it starts back, and episode two will be a week afterwards. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. So, I've seen the first two weeks worth of episodes. So, the first part is going to be the 22nd, and the second part of the premiere is going to be a week later on the 29th. So, there you guys have it. Now, let's go ahead and read the review uh, on what people, the writers, have to say who have also seen the premiere as well and see what their take is. The headline goes, The Walking Dead Season 11 Review. The first two episodes are surprisingly great. Don't know why it's surprising, but anyway. The Walking Dead returns later this month with Season 11 uh, premiere airing on August, 23, sorry, August 22nd or the 15th on AMC+. This is a two-part premiere, but Episode 2 won't land until the 29th and Khaleesi just let us know that I've seen both and I'm a little surprised that AMC didn't release them both at once as this is really a larger single episode cut into two halves I suspect the reasoning here is that we only have 24 episodes left in total airing two at once would truncate the final season in a way AMC understandably wants every episode to count. This review will contain only minor premise-setting spoilers, so read on without worrying if I'm going to reveal some shocking death or something. AMC typically spoils big character deaths in advance these days anyways. I must have missed that. So I decided to read this article. Because like the person writing this, I have seen the two episodes. I don't think I revealed anything that comes close to a spoiler. But if they reveal something that they're not supposed to, I can't be blamed for it. It's genius. Anyway, <clears throat> the title of season 11 premiere is uh, Acheron Part 1 with the second episode Acheron Part 2. Acheron is the name of the river of woe in ancient Greek mythology. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's one of the five rivers that intersect the underworld. Here, Acheron is not a river. It's a series of subway tunnels. Some of our heroes are making the journey from Alexandria to Maggie's old settlement. Recall during one of the bonus episodes between season 10 and 11, the guy who ambushed Maggie and Daryl's group, He's one of the Reapers, the group that took out many of Maggie's people. 
Uh, with food and supplies scarce, some of the survivors decide the best way to get some food is to go after the Reapers who have all the supplies Maggie's tribe left behind. And, you know, Maggie's making a big assumption that that food and supplies is still there. The, advent the adventure leads them into the subways during a major lightning storm through a series of broken down trains. It's basically the mines of Moria, but with the zombies instead of orcs. A little Lord of the Kings reference there. Uh, Lord of the Rings, sorry, not Lord of the Kings. Uh, and you may ask yourself, if you guys have seen the teaser, the trailer for season 11, why the hell did Maggie bring Negan along with them on this scavenge hunt? It's really simple. Negan is from D.C. He knows the area. He knows the subway system. So he's basically brought along as a tour guide. Now, the whole sequence is pretty terrific. It's very cool, creative setting for a show that has not always managed to create very interesting set pieces. And I really disagree with that statement. It calls back some of the earlier horrors of clearing houses and old abandoned buildings and gives our heroes plenty of action to show off their combat skills. Especially Daryl, played by Norman Reedus, who gets perhaps the coolest zombie-killing scene in Walking Dead history. He's had several. Maggie and Daryl are joined in this adventure by Gabriel and Negan, as well as a handful of Maggie's people. The tension between Negan and Maggie is visceral. It is. Though at one point, I feel like the show takes it a little too far. Look for my full recap review of the episode uh, for more on that. I will not spoil it here. Elsewhere, we get a glimpse into the outskirts of the Commonwealth, where Ezekiel, Eugene, Yumiko, and Princess have been taken prisoner and are undergoing the initial screening process all newcomers have to endure for the Commonwealth. And there's Mercer and his, uh, I gotta say, you know, uh, the person, the actor they picked to play Mercer, and his real name is escaping me right now, but a perfect pick. He's a perfect pick for Mercer. This storyline involves getting to know a bit more about the workings of the Commonwealth, though only a bit. We meet Mercer, who we've already seen in at least one trailer, and we get lots more of each of these characters, all of whom are great in their own way. Even though Eugene drives me crazy, he's still one of the more complex characters this show's written, and McDermott, referring to Josh McDermott, does a terrific job from start to finish. I also really enjoy Princess, and I, you know, Princess, uh, Paolo Lazario, who plays Princess, uh, she is so needed in The Walking Dead, just the kind of person, she's like this secret genius, uh, and she was living alone in that city for a whole year before Yumiko and everybody else came upon her, but she is an asset to any team. And I'm glad that they decided to bring her along. 
and they're starting to realize what her talents are and she has a lot of them uh anyway it goes on to say i also really enjoy princess who's probably the best new character we've seen in the walking dead in a very long time that's hard to argue against then again i actually enjoyed her solo bonus episode while many of my readers disagreed so maybe it's just me nah not just you these two storylines plus a rather gutsy intro into the season 11 premiere set up a pretty damn impressive introduction to season 11. By the end of episode 2, I was left very much on the edge of my seat, eager to find out what happens next. That's something The Walking Dead has struggled to inspire even under the leadership of Angela Kang. The show has gotten so much better, but I still find myself struggling to get excited about it. Season 11's first two episodes have me excited for what's to come. So there you guys have it. Uh, and for those of you that have not watched, this is a review which we're not going to watch. But, you know, it's coming up. It's coming up soon. And be prepared. It's going to take us for a ride. So, with that in mind, let's... That brings me into the mood to doing some Walking Dead trivia. Why not? All right, let's do some Walking Dead trivia. And let me look at the categories again because I can't remember them for the life of me. And let's go to characters. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. With whose help did Glenn escape the prison? That's easy. Who helped Glenn escape the prison? I'm not giving any clues to this one. This is so easy. Come on. Tara, Khaleesi, good job. It was Tara, reluctant, locked in a cage because she definitely did not want to do what the governor had planned to do and what ended up, you know, unfolding. Uh, let's see. Let's go to the dead. Who did Rick think would kill Carol if he knew the truth about Karen's murder? Another easy one. Who did Rick think would kill Carol if he knew the truth about Karen's murder? Tyrese. Khaleesi's on fire. Although, you know, getting to know the character of Tyrese, even he was enraged at Karen's death, murder, in fact, for having the flu. How many of you guys really think Tyrese would have killed her, killed Carol? I have a hard time accepting that, you know. I don't. I don't really think he would have done it. I, I. I just don't see it. All right, let's do one more episodes. In which episode were Karen and David murdered? Wow, talk about a follow-up question. In which episode? Now remember, episode name, not number. Which episode were Karen and David murdered? Killed and set ablaze in the courtyard of the prison. Like I said, people are not good with episode titles. So, I know you guys know the episode. You probably can remember that scene very well in your minds. But to naming the episode, that's a hard one. You know? 
So I'll give it a couple more seconds to see if anyone surprises me. But I really, I did not know the answer until I looked at it. Lindsay Passes. The name of the episode was called Infected. Infected. Let's do horror. General horror question, all right? Let's go to paranormal, my favorite category. What Harry Potter franchise alum portrayed Arthur Kipps in The Woman in Black? This is easy. What Harry Potter franchise alumni portrayed Arthur Kipps in The Woman in Black? Any guesses? Anyone know the actual actor's name who played Harry Potter? Because that's the answer. Daniel Radcliffe. Awesome, Lindsay. Nice. Nice, Lindsay. All right, let's go to, where are these categories? All these different categories. Uh, let's go to gore, all right? In Cannibal Holocaust from 1980, at what university is rescue team member Harold Monroe an anthropologist? No idea. In the movie Cannibal Holocaust, from 1980, at what university is rescue team member Harold Monroe an anthropologist? UCLA? No. East Coast. East Coast. Take a guess. East Coast University. Any, any other guesses? Northeast. I know that's not narrowing down much. And it's it's not Ivy League. It's in the Northeast, and it's not Ivy League. Khaleesi writes NYS. What's NYS? It's not Ivy League, Lindsay, who wrote Harvard. Nope, it's not an Ivy League school. I think I'm going to give it to Khaleesi because I think she meant NYU, which is the correct answer. So, Khaleesi, I'm going to give you credit for that one. It's, uh, it's uh, New York University, NYU. There is, uh, I don't think there is a school named New York State. So, I don't think so. Nope. All right, let's go to uh, Slasher. In Theater of Blood from 1973, a year before I was even born, Edward Lionheart recites passages by what playwright? In Theater of Blood from 1973, Edward Lionheart recites passages by what playwright? Think of a famous writer. Very famous writer. Just guess. Come on, guys, guess. Famous writer. Everybody knows this writer. First one to guess it. Come on. Nobody? Macbeth is the name of the play. Who wrote Macbeth? They're looking for the uh, author. Who wrote Macbeth? Come on, Khaleesi. Who wrote Macbeth? Shakespeare. There you go. Shakespeare. Good job. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's do one more Walking Dead question, and then we'll go back to the news. Let's go to uh, Wild Card. 
What was the name Carl gave his pig? Another easy one. What was the name Carl gave his pig? Little pig that they had to slaughter because they uh, had to herd away some walkers. Anybody remember the name of the pig that Carl named when they were in the prison? Nobody? Nobody? Not anywhere? Uh, you guys are drawing a blank, huh? Well, the pig's name was Violet. Violet. All right. Let's go back to the news and see what we have next for you. All right. So, Malignant. That's uh, James Wan's new movie that is getting ready to come out. And the title, the headline goes, Malignant TV spot for James Wan's new horror movie takes you on a spooky house tour video. Let's see if we can find this video. Let's watch this first. I'm really looking forward to this movie. I'm a big James Wan fan. Like they said, Saw, The Conjuring, Insidious. Whatever this guy touches turns into box office gold. So anyway, modern horror master James Wan is back with Malignant, which Warner Brothers' new line will release in theaters and HBO Max September 10th, 2021. In the film... Paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, Madison's torment worsens as she discovers that her waking dreams are in fact realities. With one month until the film's release, a new TV spot has made its way online, spotlighting a 30-second sequence from the film that reminds us how much of a master Juan truly is. Uh, so that's basically it. And the new footage, uh, I'm really looking forward to this movie. And continuing on, they, uh, they have ranked the Conjuring movies. Every horror film in the franchise ranked. And I'm sure each one of you guys have your favorites, but let's see what they picked. When it comes to scary movies, there's been one horror universe that's been taking over the genre for nearly a decade now, and that is the Conjuring Universe. Tales from spooky ghost stories, haunting demons, and terrifying true experiences. From the moment The Conjuring was released in theaters, it opened a path for sequel after sequel, spin-off after spin-off, and has created a whole entire universe full of horror tales. However, which one of these is the best? Is it the Conjuring films or the Annabelle films or something completely different? With eight films released in the franchise, today, after a nice long binge of the Conjuring universe, we are going to rank them all and see where they stand amongst the horror universe. And I'm just curious to see who actually ranked them. Now, number eight 
is the Curse of La Lorna, which is not... I did not know this was part of the Conjuring universe. Following an old Latin American folktale, the Curse of La Lorna tells a story of a mother in 1973 Los Angeles who has to save her children from a malevolent spirit who is trying to steal them from her. Uh, look, I grew up in a Latino family. I've read the horror story of La Lorna several times. When this film was first announced, I was excited to see it brought to life on the big screen and in the Conjuring universe. But to be completely 100% honest, this movie was a letdown from start to finish. The original folktale has so much lore and potential, but the Curse of La Lorna caters to fans of jump scares and cheap terror, something no one likes in a horror film. Plus, it barely ties into the Conjuring films. It's just bad. And, uh, dude, I had no idea that this movie, which is not as bad as they describe it here, was even a part of the Conjuring universe. I There is no connection in the movie at all that it's part of the Conjuring universe. Uh, Khaleesi writes that it is. Uh, uh, that definitely escaped me. Number seven is 2014 Annabelle. Number six, The Nun. Number five, uh, the third Conjuring movie, which just came out a little while ago in June, The Devil Made Me Do It. Number four, Annabelle Comes Home, 2019. Number three is Annabelle Creation. That was very good, 2017. Uh, number two is The Conjuring 2. And I could all guess what number one is, is probably going to be the original conjuring and there you go the original conjuring is the best one of them all and hard to argue with that one uh one of melka we want to welcome mustaine who's joining us uh hmm, never heard that movie mentioned with any of the conjuring movies neither have i i've seen it it's a very popular movie uh i've never really talked to anybody who didn't like it but I had no freaking idea it was part of the Conjuring universe. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. And this guy just thinks it is. <laughs> anyway, alright, let's do some comedy horror. What are the creatures called who multiply if they get wet in gremlins? What are the creatures called who multiply... If they get wet in gremlins. This is, this is an interesting one. What are they actually called before they turn into those little horrific monsters? Does anybody remember? I'm sure the, a lot of you have seen gremlins. If you haven't, Mugwai, good job. Good job to Mustang. Mugwai, yes. The cute little furry pets, unless you feed them after midnight, and then you've got a real nightmare on your hands. Uh, let's go to monster movies. What is the surname of the doctor with which Dr. Frankenstein is forced to work with in The Bride of Frankenstein from 1935? 
What is the last name of the doctor with which Dr. Frankenstein is forced to work with in The Bride of Frankenstein, 1935? I have no idea. And I would be very surprised if anyone guesses this. Any real big history horror buffs out there? Want to welcome Ivan all the way from the Czech Republic who's joining us. Welcome, Ivan. Thank you for joining us. I didn't think so. The name is Pretorius. That's the name of the doctor that Frankenstein was forced to work with. Let's go to uh, psychological. In what century does the village 2004 take place? 18th, 19th, 20th, or 21st century? This is a trick question. This is, I haven't seen the answer, but this is a trick question. In what century does the village, which came out in 2004, take place? 18th, 19th, 20th, or 21st century? It's a trick question. I mean, the answer, no matter what it is, it's a trick question. Khaleesi writes 18th. And actually giving away the answer for those of you who have not yet seen this movie. Uh, I can't believe it's been that long already. 2004. Uh, is giving away a big plot spoiler. But it's not the 18th. The actual answer is the 21st century. And that pretty much ruins... Well, it gives you the biggest spoiler of the movie. All right, let's do, uh, Baba. Let's go back to gore and disturbing. What is the name of the mutant that sacrifices herself to help the Carter family survive in the Hills Have Eyes, 2006? The name of the mutant who sacrifices herself to help the Carter family survive in the Hills Have Eyes from 2006, the remake. Anybody remember the name of the mutant? Uh, Mustaine writes, I love uh, Shiloman, but the twist in that movie was horrendous. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about The Village. I, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I'm somewhere in between. Anybody remember the name of the mutant in The Hills Have Eyes 2006 version that sacrificed herself to save the family? Nobody? It is Ruby. Ruby is the name of the mutant. All right, let's continue on. Now, uh, there is a great new series coming to Netflix, and it's called Midnight Mass. Uh, if you guys follow our social media, uh, Netflix released a whole bunch of uh, promo pics, and I posted them. Uh, it stars... A lot of uh, the Haunting of Hill House uh, alumni. And one of the stars of this uh, series, Kate Siegel, who played Theo in the Haunting of Hill House, is going to be our upcoming guest, Kate Siegel. Kate Siegel is going to be our upcoming guest. She's coming uh, on, on our show, Dead Talk Live, to promote Midnight Mass. You guys are going to want to see it. It's from the same people who came up with 
The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, both of which are amazing. But let's go ahead and watch this uh, little teaser trailer for Midnight Mass. It is releasing on Netflix on September 24th. So about a month and it's about six weeks from now. So check it out. We tend to dislike mysteries. We feel uncomfortable not knowing. The more that we know, the less we bend, the more brittle we become. The easier to break. That wasn't an act of God. Wasn't it? It's okay to just look at the world and say, why, why, why? I don't understand. guys have it midnight mass dropping on netflix september 24th it has a lot of alumni from the haunting of hill house the haunting of blind manor kate siegel who played uh theo in hill house uh and theo the character of, of theo in hill house uh, a lot of the people including myself that i've spoken to theo was everybody's favorite character from that uh series I'm a huge fan of the haunting of movies on Netflix, and I hope to continue them. Midnight Mass is not in the same universe as Hill House and Bly Manor, but it's made by the same people. As you can see, it has a, a lot of the same actors that were in uh, both series. So if you love those movies, you're going to want to definitely check out Midnight Mass. And as I said, Kate Siegel who is in Midnight Mass and was also in Hill House, is going to be our guest sometime. We haven't set a date yet, but it's sometime in the next several weeks. So Midnight Mass is the next horror series from the mind behind the haunting of Hill House. So behind the, uh, the mind behind one of Netflix's most unsettling shows is back with a new series. Midnight Mass is a new Seven-episode show from Mike Flanagan, perhaps best known as the creator of The Haunting of Hill House and its follow-up, The Haunting of Bly Manor. And while the new series, which stars the likes of Raul Coley, Zach Guilford, Hamish Linkletter, isn't part of the anthology, the first trailer has some very uh, similar and creepy vibes. Here is the basic premise from Netflix. Midnight Mass tells the tale of a small, isolated island community whose existing divisions are amplified by the return of a disgraced young man, played by Zach Guilford, and the arrival of a charismatic priest, played by Hamish Linklater. Linklater. When Father Paul's appearance on Crockett Island coincides, with unexplained and seemingly miraculous events, 
a renewed religious fervor takes hold of the community. But do these miracles come at a price? The good news is that horror fans won't have to wait long to binge watch Flanagan's latest. Midnight Mass hits Netflix on September 24th. So, there you guys have it. Let's go back to some Walking Dead questions. And let's continue with episodes. What did Lori tell Herschel she was afraid her unborn baby might be? Wow. Don't remember this. What did Lori tell Herschel she was afraid her unborn baby might be? Ooh, Khaleesi, a walker. Or, like they state here, dead already. Which, in the zombie universe, it's the same thing. <laughs> Alright, let's do another Walking Dead question. Let's go to, um, you know, let's go... where. Events and milestones. Who captured Michonne to take to the governor when Rick, when Rick couldn't? Who captured Michonne to take to the governor when Rick could not? Who captured Michonne? Merle. Khaleesi is ripping them up tonight. These Walking Dead questions. All right, let's do one more Walking Dead question. Let's go to locations. What body part of the governor did Michonne stab? What body part of the governor did Michonne stab? This is another trick question. She stabbed him several times. Khaleesi, chest. You're right, but Anita. Anita guessed it, got the answer correct. The first time Michonne stabbed the governor was in the eye. One-eyed governor. And Lindsay Sparks got it right as well. Alright, let's go back to wild card. Who did Milton tell Andrea would take over if she killed the governor? Huh. Who did Milton tell Andrea would take over Woodbury if she killed the governor? This is a good one. This is a very good one. Lynn uh, is saying she watched Van Helsing on Netflix as well. Very good. Yeah, that's a good one too. Lynn also answered on the previous question in the heart. It's correct, but they're talking about the first time he was stabbed. So nobody can remember. Anita writes Rodriguez. Nope, the name is Martinez. That's who Milton told Andrea would take over if Andrea was to kill the governor. And for some reason, that still dissuaded her from killing the governor. Why? I have no freaking idea. Uh... Not she's Andrea's character made a lot of bad decisions, and that's why she's not a big favorite amongst fans. But I don't know. All right, this is the last Walking Dead question of the night. Who was the last prison inmate to be killed? It's a good one. 
Who was the last prison inmate to be killed? Any guesses? He was a guest of ours. We, we had several of the prison inmates as guests. Khaleesi writes Oscar. No, it was not Oscar. No, Oscar was not the last prison inmate to be killed. It was good old Axel. The very, very awesome Lou Temple was the last one to uh, get killed of the prison inmates that they discovered when taking over the prison. So, in the time that we have left, which is not a lot, let's go over some of the best horror documentaries. Um, in horror, every subject has been explored to some degree. Whether it's fiction or real, it has created a vacuum of interesting discussion. And from those discussions usually come someone willing and ready to make a documentary about it. Whether it's an evolution of a franchise or a making of, tonight we're going to look at some of the top horror documentaries out there. Room 237, Documentary on The Shining. Uh, the subject, the numerous fan theories about Stanley Kubrick's awesome movie, The Shining. Directed by Rodney Asher, the documentary rose from the numerous conflicting and intriguing theories that rose from Kubrick's unique messaging in the film, covering everything from the moon landing to the horrors committed to the Native American population. With evidence laid out for each theory presented in documentary in the documentary, it gives hardcore Shining fans a few new things to look for on rewatches on the legendary film. Uh, next on the list is Never Sleep Again, the Elm Street legacy from 2010. A look at one of the most iconic horror film franchises, the popularity of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. You get a sense of, of the changes from Wes Craven's original vision and some original cast members and how it evolved into the iconic franchise it became. You get a new sense of appreciation for the love the cast members and filmmakers had for what they were doing and how they put their hearts and souls into making these films. Uh, next on the list is Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, The Evolution of American Horror Films. The history, change, and impact of horror movies in the United States. And a lot of these type of documentaries are really popping up now. There's a documentary on the horror movies from the 80s and how they shaped horror movies moving forward all the way to today. Uh... There's a lot of these new documentaries where they go back and they talk to filmmakers from back in the 80s and just give a perspective on the genre and its evolution, going all the way back from the late 70s into today. Now, going back to this one here, it covers a wide variety of horror movies and the genres that have been developed since the horror genre be began to gain popularity. Seeing the various eras of Hollywood approached to horror, 
and how in some eras they were restrained and others they became innovative. With the wide variety of filmmakers interviewed forced you to invest your attention to appreciate horror even more. Now, next on the list is, uh, if you haven't watched this, I really recommend you watch this. Uh, it's called My Amityville Horror. And it's basically from one of the Lutz children. The Lutz family is the family that basically the movie, the Amityville Horror, is about. The family that bought the house after Ronnie DeFeo murdered his family while they were sleeping, uh, claiming demonic possession. The Lutz family bought it. They only lasted 28 days in the house before fleeing it. In the middle of the, of the night, leaving all their possessions behind, and literally the rest became notorious. History, if you want to call it. Uh, the Lutz children returned to the infamous house 35 years later. The documentary allows Daniel Lutz to tell his version of uh, the infamous events that became the Amityville Horror, his account of the events challenged the numerous count of people who claim the ordeal to be a hoax. And watching this documentary, you see the strife that was within the Lux family. And, you know, for those of you that believe in the paranormal, uh, you know that, you know, strong emotional display of, you know, a strong display of emotions within a family can very much conjure up a lot of things. And there's no surprise. And the children, especially Danny Lutz, Daniel Lutz, he hated uh, his stepdad. Uh, you know, he said he was abusive. He was a horrible person. Just did not like him at all. Uh, features interviews from Lorraine Warren. The Warrens did go in and investigate the house after the Lutz fled uh, that house and, you know, made the news and all that other good stuff. And for those of you guys that I know a lot of you have seen The Conjuring 2, The Conjuring 2, its opening sequence is the Amityville house. So it features interviews from Lorraine Warren, the, uh, you know, part of the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, shortly after the events of the horrific, uh, you know, the hauntings that suppose allegedly took place. She added a lot uh, to the watch factor of this particular case, especially for diehard Conjuring fans. And Lorraine Warren did indeed say in real life while investigating the Amityville house, uh, and it's quoted in The Conjuring 2, that this is as close to hell as she ever wants to get. They used that line in the movie, The Conjuring 2, and Lorraine Warren did in fact say that while she was investigating the Amityville house. So let's see, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, 2019, a look of what was once a taboo subject to expose some real history, African-Americans' place in horror films through the ages. And, you know, 
I am ashamed of myself as a horror fan that it took me 45 years, you know, before I actually started doing this show to realize how really undiverse the horror genre is. And I'm ashamed of myself that it took me starting to do this show and reaching out to actors and talking to people within the industry and and just taking a look back and saying, wow, there's just not a lot of diversity in the horror genre. And that needs to change. And there are quite a few franchises out there that are changing it. It needs to be more widespread and become more, you know, frequent in horror movies. And it's, uh, it's a stigma that needs to be broken and changed. Now, it really exposes the state of mind people have had concerning race and entertainment and how it's taken time to get better, but has been escalated because of wonderful um, African-American filmmakers really forcing that leap forward. With the interviews conducted in this documentary, you really start to get a sense of the pain and the real trouble some of the performers and filmmakers had rightfully fighting for their place in creating dynamic and heart-pounding horror movies. Next on the list is a Canadian documentary called Hail to the Deadites. Uh, it's an indie cult classic. It's a basically a documentary for the indie cult classic franchise. The legacy behind Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and its impact on its fans. Interestingly, this documentary featured participation from cast members of the franchise. I'm just looking at the time that we're pretty much out of. It really dives deep into the overall culture that has sprung from the original trilogy of films, the television series, through comic books, video games, and really examines the fandom and how it really impacts the fans and what keeps them interested. And with that, we are literally out of time. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in tonight. Don't forget, tomorrow night, our special guest is Adam Corson from Surreal Estate, the new movie coming out the stairs. Friday, we have Tate Ellington from um, uh, Sinister and The Endless as our guest. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow night. Stay safe. And until then, because we are literally down to our last few seconds, stay walking, guys.